0: Welcome to the Sisterhood of Healing podcast, the podcast that wants to help you reach your best and most divine potential. Each week, we dive into topics concerning inner healing, wellness, and spirituality. We discuss strategies and practice from our own personal experiences regarding higher energies, trauma, and connecting to the divine as we take you through our own personal journeys to discover the highest versions of ourselves. In combination with guest speakers, we bring you a comprehensive guide to mental and spiritual wellness and the ability to connect yourself and the world around you on a deeper level. I'm Nicole. And I'm Christina. And we are two sisters who want to take you along on our spiritual and healing journey. We are each on our own individual healing and spiritual path and bring unique perspectives regarding yoga, chakra healing, meditation, intuition, and trauma healing. Sometimes life is messy, sometimes it's confusing, and sometimes everything falls perfectly into place. Join us as we navigate the path to divine enlightenment together. Welcome, sisters, brothers, and all non binary listeners, to episode four of the Sisterhood of Healing podcast. So, on today's podcast, we're going to be talking to Shelly Hansen, and Shelly is a counselor in her day job. She's also a counselor couples in her off hours and normally this podcast focuses on healing the individual and kind of that journey but today we're going to talk about the healing that takes place in relationship with another because i mean we're humans we're not solitary beings and it's really important to learn the skills to live in harmony not just with ourselves, but with the people around us, whether that's in a friendship a romantic relationship or even with our family. All right. Welcome, everyone, to the show today. I'm really looking forward to speaking to our next guest because we connected this summer on a beach in Spain. It was very romantic.
1: <laughs> yes, we did.
0: <laughs> we spent one beautiful afternoon together. <laughs> So without further ado, we will introduce Shelly Hansen. Uh, So welcome to the show, Shelly. Oh, thank you. Okay, so after that introduction, I feel like you actually need to explain how you guys met. It wasn't just romantically on the beach. Okay. (laughs) 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 So Shelly and I are both teachers, and we are both taking our classes abroad next year. And the tour company that's taking us abroad hosted us uh, in Spain as like a little mini training so we were both participants in that training we were a group of 30 and uh yeah our flight got delayed because everything was crazy this summer so coming home we had an extra day and everyone wanted to go back into the city and her and i were like let's go to the beach so we went to the beach
1: that's what we did that's what we did great
0: so we (laughs) So Shelly, I understand that you do counseling for students at the school you work at. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about that? Introduce yourself like in that role, um, maybe how you got there and then how you got into couples counseling. Yeah,
1: sure. So I um, I started, uh, I actually um, went to university later in life and I went, my goal was to just become a, a counselor, a certified counselor. However, I was supply teaching um, uh, on the side as well. And so I decided that maybe, you know, I would become a guidance counselor as well. So what I ended up doing was um, I'm a high school English teacher, but I also got my uh, counseling psychology degree from a local university here. And um, I have been working in and out of guidance for the past 12 years. So I I love the classroom as well. So I kind of have gone back and forth. Um, But what I also do on the side is I have a private practice. um, And I have an office in my home. And so I do counseling um, on the side as well as 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 working with students in schools. Um, Yeah, so I've been doing that for the counseling part, I guess, for a little over 12 years
0: wow that's really. Yeah. that's pretty incredible it's nice that so you can kind of meld like both of those uh career paths together I guess like they're mm-hmm. you're just like helping so many so many people in 12 years it's a lot of people that you're helping in 12 years as well
1: yes it is a lot it, it is a lot of people that have crossed my path in
0: twelve years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's interesting because you're counseling in two different capacities which like when I think of someone who's a counselor I, I think of them um having like a specification um or like a certain type of people that are their clientele but it's cool that you have students and couples.
1: Yeah yeah I do so I do I have students of course in school but then um in my private practice I have a lot of individuals but also couples. So couples has just become a bigger thing I would say during the pandemic, honestly. <laughs> A lot of couples staying at home together for long periods of time. And my couple's practice has begun to flourish in the past three years.
0: <laughs> well, good for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good. But again, good for them because they're having the, they're getting the supports that they need from you. So yes, <laughs> that's yes. incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the differences and are there differences between when you're counseling students and when you're counseling couples?
1: Uh, Definitely. I would say there are big differences. Um, And I love both, but I think probably with students or with individuals, you know, you're, you're there to listen, to provide them support, to validate their feelings. There's a lot of, especially with students, you do a lot of self-esteem and identity work and just kind of, you know, against like just support them in their struggles. With couples, it it's similar, but it's, I would say a much more challenging dynamic <laughs> mm-hmm. because it's not just one person in the room that you're focusing on or that you have to support. There are two people in the room. Um, sometimes you have to navigate conflict that arises in the room. So that's really interesting. Um, and you, you like your job is to, sorry to provide support and validation basically to both of them at the same time so you know and you also have to dig deep to try to figure out is this a couple's issue or is it an individual issue or honestly there it's usually intertwined (laughs) it's usually a combination of both of those things so
0: yeah interesting that's so interesting and do you find that um like the issues that they're, they're individually coming with, are they, are they sort of like the same thing and they just have to deal with them on their own? If that makes sense. Like, are they, are they both struggling with the same thing? They just haven't figured it out and they need to work through that so they can work together or is it usually, you know, two different, two different.
1: Well, I would say, honestly, I mean, it's a, again, a combination. So everybody comes into a relationship with their own issues and baggage um, and then and you bring that into a relationship, which then impacts the interaction. Um, there's a lot of talk about, and I've done a lot of a fair amount of study on attachment theory. And you know, human beings are relational, we're social, we're wired for connection. And so that's what we crave. And and it works really well when when it works really well, but then when something goes wrong and the bond doesn't feel safe or secure. Then that's when problems generally arise. But usually that's because of individual issues or you know, things that come up um, and the way that people interpret. I think that's maybe the biggest issue, I guess. It's the way that people interpret what their partner is saying or doing. Mm-hmm. because contrary to popular opinion, mm-hmm. you know, lots of couples come in and say to me, "We have communication issues." But generally it's not the communication issue that's the problem, although that does play into it, but it's how you interpret what somebody else is saying or doing um, that tends to be a trigger, you know, for the individual.
0: So how does one work through that? Is it more better, more communication, better communication, different ways of communicating? Well, I mean.
1: The first thing I should tell you is, it, it as a counselor, it's not my job to give advice. It's my job to, um, I guess, it's the counseling counseling relationship that's the most important thing. So having unconditional positive regard for both people in the relationship, but also I like there's a couple of methods, beyond you know building that counseling counseling relationship that I really like and I find work the best. And so one is um, John Gottman's method. And um, it's just called the Gottman method. And I'll talk, I can talk a little bit about that. Um, but then there's also emotion focused therapy. And those are two of the, the I would say the most evidence-based programs in terms of results for couples in particular. So um, it's a combination of, you know, I guess me, building that relationship with both of them and and um making sure that I, I'm the counselor that will work for them and then then using the methodology and knowing about attachment theory that I think makes the biggest difference I'm not sure if that answered your question but
0: no no it's it did and what is for those listeners I don't know because I've been hearing a lot about attachment theory I've looked into it a little bit too um, but for our listeners that don't know what is attachment theory and what are some of the different attachments.
1: Yeah, it's just the way that we bond with others. So it can be with our parents as children growing up and you know the patterns that you learn about about connecting or attaching to people. Um so obviously that's why childhood has an important role in as you know in our in the ways that we bond with people as we grow older. So there there's like anxious attachment there is um, avoidant attachment, and then what we call secure attachment, which is the healthiest, obviously. So, avoidant people they don't deal well with um, conflict or when issues arrive and r- arise in relationships. So they avoid certain things. Anxious people are those who get anxious when when conflict or there are problems in a relationship. And then, of course, secure is when you can, you know, you can use assertive talk or, you know, all of the things that we think about with communication, but you build basically what it is, you build that secure bond so that in your interactions, you always feel safe and secure, or maybe not always, but you find a way to to feel safe and secure. And you, you know, that's talking through things. So it is about communication, but really it's about the, the uh, attachment underneath all of that.
0: Interesting. Um, So how can counseling help with the healing journey?
1: I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you.
0: How can counseling help with the healing journey?
1: Oh, yes. So um, I think probably the the biggest piece of that is the insight that you can get in the counseling process, honestly. So as I said before, it's not my job to give advice. It's actually... The opposite. People think counselors give advice, but but they don't. Their job kind of is to provide that unconditional positive regard and listen and support and validate. But it's also really important, I think, in the healing journey to have an objective third person be able to listen and they can get insights from, from just listening and seeing the interactions. And then, the key is for them to ask the right questions. Mm-hmm. So if you can ask the right questions, you can lead people to that insight on their own. That's the best part. When you see somebody like the light comes on and they're like, oh, <laughs> mm-hmm. so it's, it's really listening is so important. Um, and then asking those questions that can, make people become more self-aware and recognize what needs to be healed um, and and what they need to work through. And so I think that's probably the biggest part. Um, I guess the other thing is maybe helping clients like acknowledge once they recognize being able to acknowledge and accept, you know, you know, what the problem is and where it comes from. And then also to normalize. You can help clients normalize it, situ- you know, sometimes people feel so alone, but I think if you can help them recognize also that this is part of the human experience and that really can normalize it for them. And, and then they don't see themselves as broken. They, they, they see themselves as just somebody who needs support and help and healing. And then the journey becomes um, just that, I guess it becomes a journey um, where they're not so hard on themselves.
0: I have a question actually um so you said that as the counselor it's you know it's your job it's not your job to like tell your clients uh what kind of what's going on but to lead them I'm just curious because as adults we have our practices our habits whatever they're so ingrained in us because we've had years and years of those thoughts those habits whatever they are um but students they're younger have and they haven't had as long to ingrain those habits. Are students more receptive to, I'm, I'm just so curious, are students more receptive to coming to those conclusions quicker when you're leading them than adults are, or is it just based on like case by case basis? You
1: know what, I think I would say yes. I think that the earlier um, you can provide or get, somebody involved in a counseling process, I think they are more receptive and they do become more self-aware more quickly. And so, you know, they can really be open to change. Um, You know, when I think about my own experience, like I was probably 35 before I really became self-aware, you know, in a way that I think kids today, because there's less stigma around counseling and talking about mental health, I think kids are more open to that. And so students that I come in contact with are much more educated about mental health and all of those things. And yeah, I would say they definitely um, are more, you know, quick to change.
0: It's funny you ask that because your like brain went to the comparison like students versus couples but my question for you was i don't know if you're able to answer this but on average like how many sessions does it take for at least like an individual or like a couple as a pair to like make those connections and realize what their actual issues are Mm.
1: i think that depends on the motivation And you can kind of assess that right away anytime somebody comes i don't necessarily say to them like how can i help you um because even though that's something that you know that a lot of people or a lot of counselors would say i think um i i start by saying you know what do you think your partner's biggest complaints about you are or um you know Can you tell me what you do to make your partner feel appreciate? So it's more, it focuses more on, I guess, what is your role in this?
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, But in terms of number of sessions, it's so different for everyone. Some people have bigger issues. For example, you know, if there's, if there are issues like infidelity, that's a lot bigger issue. So I would say that would take more time on average i would say like a minimum of 6 sessions is what you would want to to do okay. um but some people you know they want to work on it for a year mm-hmm. <laughs> so it just depends yeah <laughs> yeah oh
0: that's so interesting yeah
1: and sometimes just the 6 sessions is enough to make them like recognize and then they go off and do work on their own you know
0: yeah, sometimes you just need to know where to start. Like, you just need those tools. Yeah. And then people are really good at taking them and working with them. Or, yeah. And sometimes they need that. Absolutely. Training. Yeah. So, you don't just, like, find a solution and bam, you're healed. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. <laughs> you know, you doesn't work that a way. journey, that's for sure. <laughs> Especially in a relationship because there's always new issues that come up, right? Yeah. Going through them. Yeah. yeah. So what are some of the major issues and touch on issues issues that come up all the time what are some of the major issues or maybe Mm -hmm. some of the major themes if we could call them themes Mm -hmm. that you see in couples counseling
1: yeah so uh you know obviously some of the the big issues are there's a lot of issues around infidelity in relationships because as you can imagine talking about attachment theory that is like the biggest factor in you know, secure or insecure bonds. So that, you know, makes people feel really vulnerable and unsafe. Um, so that's a big one that I've worked with a lot. Also, you know, there are issues of um, toxicity and e- even abuse, like, you know, mental abuse. Um, I haven't worked with couples really um where domestic abuse is a problem, but certainly mental and emotional abuse, I think, is something that arises. But the everyday issues in a relationship, you know, even though they seem smaller, honestly, they can be just as disruptive to a relationship. And I would say some of the biggest ones, as a matter of fact, John Gottman says there are four major things that predict relationship failure. And I love this um, because I think it's so true. Um, so I, I've been in a relationship with my husband for 33 years. And so these are the things that come up
0: for us.
1: <laughs> and so this was life-changing for me. Um, so criticism. And it's criticism versus um, complaining. He talks about it's the difference between criticism and complaining. Um, he also talks about um, defensiveness. So, you know, it's natural to like want to defend ourselves when somebody, you know, points out a problem, but he he talks about the antidote to that being taking responsibility, stopping for a minute, thinking about your part and taking responsibility for that can make all the difference. So criticism, defensiveness, contempt, which is basically um, just being disrespectful and disgusted by your partner and focusing on the negativity in your partner um, and then stonewalling which is you know just that avoiding thing that we were talking about so again the antidote for contempt he says is creating a culture of appreciation mm. so focusing more on the positive things about your partner and asking for what you need using I statements and then with the stonewalling that's something if your partner's avoiding you and that's what's causing your anxiety just learning to do some physiological self-soothing, and he says that you need at least twenty minutes to self-soothe before um, before coming back if if things are getting too heightened. So I think those four issues are some of the biggest everyday problems in a relationship, honestly. And um, figuring out how to navigate those can make a huge difference.
0: Mm-hmm. I just want to take a step back for a second. You had mentioned um, emotional and mental abuse in relationships. And I'm curious, do you find that the quote unquote abuser is aware of what they're actually doing to their partner? Mm.
1: <clears throat> That's really, hmm. Well, to be honest, sometimes the the partner who's experiencing that doesn't even recognize it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're just so used to that behavior. Mm -hmm. Right.
1: And that is part of the counseling process. They have become, it's become so normal for them that until they talk to to an objective third person about it, they don't even realize. And that can really bring a lot of insight. And the thing is, then once you know, you can't go back, you can't unknow. And so Mm -hmm. then, you know, that's like, oh, then they have to decide like, okay, am I willing just accept this. Um, so I would say the person that, that's doing it, sometimes they know, but sometimes again, it's become so common for them to treat people in their life that way. And if the person's always accepted it or made excuses for it, sometimes they don't know. So again, very situational. I
0: have to say like with my relationship, like with my ex when I was in it, I knew what he was saying and doing was wrong. I'm like, this is wrong. That's yeah. not nice to say that. That's not nice to do that. Like, and I would call him out, but I didn't realize it was abuse until after. Right. And I thought, oh, geez, <laughs> like those were all very bad things. And yeah, I think there's a degree where he was definitely aware, but also a degree where he couldn't help himself because he had yeah. experienced that. He had experienced yeah. abuse. Yeah. 100%.
1: Absolutely. Like, I think there is an awareness there, but if it's working for you as the abuser or as the perpetrator, I guess, if it's working for you and your partner's, you know, accepting it, then why would you stop?
0: Exactly. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about, you know, how, I think we said in the beginning, are people coming to couples counseling with, individual issues, couples issues. Um, and you said it's a combination, but how do like, how can our personal issues manifest as issues in our partnerships? Like how are some of the ways that those personal issues show up?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Like, I mean, for example, let me, let me just give you this one example that maybe, you know, will help because as I said, it's like the interpretation of your partner's actions or words that really are the problem. And so, if you are already somebody who has experienced rejection, maybe, maybe it's even like, you know, a parent, there's been a divorce and you grew up and your parents divorced and maybe one of your parents left. And so you interpret that as a rejection because of who you are. Kids do that. We know that. Mm -hmm. So you come into a relationship already with that experience of rejection. And so, you know, if there's a conflict and your partner says something like, like maybe we should just separate or, you know, not meaning it, but you know, that's something that's said in the middle of the conflict, when they're angry or upset, then you're going to be super, that's your trigger. Mm -hmm. That's your trigger. Like, Oh my gosh, that's the worst thing anybody could say to you. Um, And so that's how you're bringing your, your issues and your baggage from you know maybe for your partner that's not a trigger it's just like something they say when they're upset or they say it you know in the heat of the moment but for you that's like a big deal and so I think it's really important in a in a relationship to know what your triggers are so that you can communicate that to your partner and say listen this is the one thing you can't say to me when we fight, (laughs) because this it's so upsetting and it really, you know, plays off my anxiety or heightens my emotions or whatever. So that's in my mind, that's how, you know, I see that so often, you know, just becoming aware of what your triggers are and why, and then being able to like safely communicate that to your partner so that they understand that they can't, there are certain things that, that they have to not do in the relationship because it's really upsetting and can cause a lot mm-hmm. of problems.
0: And how yeah. do we know as individuals if if we are being triggered and it's something that we have to communicate and then work through, or if it's repetitive behavior that's triggering us, if that makes that's sense. Like repetitive behavior on behalf of your partner? Yeah, so is it is it that you're experiencing something it's not just that you're being triggered, but the like you're experiencing the same sort of negative behaviors from a partner.
1: Yeah. Um, so, in terms of the individual issues, those are triggers that are usually built like out, like happen out, like outside of a relationship. Like you're triggered because of past experience, but also, I guess, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm explaining that well. So, I think also that. Um, there, you know, can be things that you've experienced that almost, I would call PTSD. So you, you might, you might not know what your triggers are until you get into a relationship Mm
0: -hmm. or you
1: may know before, but oftentimes I think they come out in interactions, maybe in friendships as well, not just, you know, a romantic relationship, but certainly they for sure come out in romantic relationships those triggers so it's just being self-aware um and again I think you become self-aware through the counseling process some people are really good at being self-aware on their own but I think um, most people do need um a counseling experience in order to become more self-aware and to know um what some of their triggers are yeah if that makes sense
0: yeah I know that definitely makes sense I have to say that I didn't know that I had triggers until I was like healing and then started to experience them either in other romantic relationships or even with friendships too, like you said. So Mm -hmm. you're like, what is going on? Like, why am I so upset right now? Why am I feeling these things I haven't felt in a long time? And then you realize, Oh yeah, it's a trigger.
1: Well, and that's one, one thing, that's one way to become more self-aware when you notice that your emotions become heightened due to a situation that's the time to like stop
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and just be curious. You know, it's a mindful experience to be curious and think what is going on? Why am I feeling this way and really take some time to reflect and that will build that self-awareness. You know, and that's, that's why I think again, mindfulness is so important.
0: That's such great advice to be curious about yourself because oftentimes we question the other person, but right question ourselves, and we don't necessarily always have to question I mean questioning ourselves isn't always a a negative critic like criticism Mm -hmm. thing it's it's so healthy like that because it builds that self-awareness
1: yeah it's just built like it's just that curiosity about okay what is going on you know is it is it something in me or is there something else going on like you know and so yeah I, I I think that's the best thing anyone can do for themselves is to be curious about their, especially their heightened emotions.
0: It's so easy for you to just put the blame on your partner when you're in conflict.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> but like, it's easier to heal yourself and and resolve your issues than to try to resolve them for your partner.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, it, and once you become more aware and be curious about your own emotions it also makes you more aware of your partner's emotions and what they need and and build empathy for them.
0: Yeah, what happens though if, so you've gotten curious, you've built your self-awareness, you have become aware of what your partner needs, but your partner is refusing to do the work with themselves. Like even if they're coming to counseling Mm -hmm. um, and they're, they're just not like meeting you halfway.
1: Right, so that is a problem. (laughs) (laughs) it's a big problem because you can only control yourself you can't control anyone else so if they're willing and they have a willing spirit and they want to make the relationship work then um then that's great but if you have a partner who really is unwilling or really can't see that there's an issue with with them or that they have triggers themselves or, you know, that causes a lot of problem and uh, problems. And you really have to decide, I think, um, do I want to continue to invest in this relationship or is it a useless exercise?
0: Yeah. 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 Yeah,
1: definitely. I think it comes down to a decision, honestly.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, not an not an easy decision, but definitely an important
1: one. Yeah. Not an easy decision at all, but yes, you have to. Yeah, you have to do what's good for you. I think in those kinds of situations, um, and you know there are lots of things to consider. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and I can I just say about that it, in terms of being important to heal yourself first, you don't have to, because you can work and grow with a partner, yeah. but it will save you again, you need the willing partner, but it will save you a lot of heartache when you work on yourself and and your issues first, because then you're more likely to attract and choose a partner that is suited to you. So that's the biggest reason why I think it's important to like work on your own healing journey first.
0: Yeah. 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 That's so interesting. I I met someone a couple months back and they're like, Oh, I always tend to like track these broken girls. And I was like, that's an interesting statement. And then I got to know them for about two or three weeks. And I was like, Oh, I understand why. <laughs> yep. And I'm not broken any longer. So peace.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because you know what, you have to know what your values are, what yeah. do you value in a relationship. That's the other piece. Like you don't just stub your toe and fall into a relationship. Yeah. The people that, the people that do that It rarely turns out well. So it is important to know what do I value in a relationship? What am I looking for in a partner and what boundaries do I need? Mm -hmm. So there's all kinds of, that's why the healing journey, I think is important for individuals before they embark on a, you know, a relationship journey.
0: I think boundaries are so important too. Can you speak to that a little bit? Do people, in your experience, what is people's relationship with boundaries like, and how how does that play out in relationships, or even with the students that you counsel? Yeah, so honestly, if I'm being
1: truthful, that's an area of weakness for me. I do not have good boundaries, um, but it's something that I'm aware of, very self aware of, and I've been working on because. I am the person, I'm a people pleaser by nature. So I want to keep everybody in my life happy. I want to keep all of my students happy, uh, you know, but I have learned that a very well-placed, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Or no, I'm sorry, you can't do that has been life-changing for me. And I think in relationships, um, knowing your boundaries so if you know your triggers and you know your boundaries, because sometimes we set our boundaries around those triggers, that can really be life-changing. Um, not can be, it really is life-changing. It can alleviate so much stress and so much anxiety when you just give your permi- yourself permission to say, no, I'm not accepting that. Um, this is what I want in my life. I'm, I want to be healthy and happy and mindful and all of the things that we know makes us, you know, well-rounded, happy people. Um, And once we know that and we live our lives that way, it can just make all the difference. Yeah. So boundaries are so important.
0: (laughs) What do you, what advice would you give people when, so boundaries is one thing that I was practicing and you know, like you, I was like people pleasing and whatnot. And so I had a difficult time at first with boundaries because they made me feel really uncomfortable Right, saying no. So what's some advice that you would give to individuals who are just learning to stand firm in their boundaries? Um, what, what's some advice that you would give with all those feelings that come up mm-hmm. where they're feeling uncomfortable with saying no?
1: Well, you know what I think? I think that if you can start with some small things, you have to think about it ahead of time. And you have to like plan ahead, okay, this is where I'm setting a boundary. This this is this can't happen. And so I think if you think about it ahead of time, you decide you're going to set the boundary in however small a way, and then it feels uncomfortable at first, but then after, if you find success and it, it works, it does alleviate your anxiety because you've set it up front, this is what's happening. Then I think it's easier it gets easier and easier because then, but you just have to always be on guard, I think, to, to pay attention to where do I need to set boundaries? You know, so again, that's just being aware of your own anxiety and, and, and stress levels and knowing what you have to do to alleviate that. And I think once you experience success in it, yeah, it becomes easier every time. And so, you know, you, you can also do some self-talk and be, you know, say to yourself, listen, it's okay, you deserve this too. You don't always have to be on call for other people, or you don't always have to, you know what, if people are upset with you, they'll get over it or they won't. It's okay. You have to do this for you. So it's some self-talk is super important too, I think. Mm-hmm. And being okay with it. You learn to be okay with it. I, I I, think over, if you practice it, it's a habit that you have to practice, but then you just become okay with it.
0: Mm-hmm. So what is one piece of advice you'd like
1: to leave our listeners with? Um, hmm. I think the biggest thing is probably don't go into a relationship, a romantic relationship, or even a friendship, but don't go into a relationship expecting your partner to change. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> not to change the core of who they are, at least, right? So behaviors sometimes can change and you can work on interactions and all of that. But when someone shows you who they are, believe them. (laughs) Don't ignore the red flags. Believe them. When they show you who they are, you have to believe them and decide, you know what, this is for me, or it's not for me and move on.
0: (laughs) good piece of advice yeah I have to say that's something I learned the hard way because going into my past relationship with my ex I uh that was a thing I was like oh like it's okay I can help him I can change him and he kept saying to me I like the way I feel when I'm with you I'm a different person you make me Mm -hmm. better so it was just like feeding into that Mm -hmm. I had this belief that I could change him but it's also so problematic because there's society whether you're watching movies whether you're having conversations with people I've had conversations with people in their 20s, their 30s or 40s or 50s or 60s who have said to me, "Oh, I know someone who set you up with I'm like,, uh, you know, they sound like maybe they should work through some of those things or whatever and oh, but that's okay. They just need a good woman to change them. And I'm like, why is this the why is this the, the common belief in society that everyone thinks, one that's placed on women to change mm-hmm. men, and mm-hmm. two that you can change people like you can't. I don't want someone coming in and changing me. Or three yes. that someone like, wants to have to do that work to change someone like it's exhausting. No. I have a that's job. That's a lot
1: of <laughs> responsibility. That's a lot of responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. And no, you do not want to. You do not want you, you, working on yourself is enough. You don't want to have to try to change. No.
0: And I find like when I've had these conversations with these women of all ages, I find that they are also like, as the conversation continues, I'll hear them talk about their own partners in the relationships and they are extremely frustrated because their partner is not who they want them to be. You're doing what they want them to do or listening to how they want them to act. And, and it, I'm like, you're doing exactly that. You're trying to change them. You're trying to mold them into who you want to be. And of course you're frustrated mm-hmm. with your partner because- that you could change them. Yeah. So don't try and change
1: people. Don't try and change people. You know what? And the other, I think maybe there's one more piece of advice that's important because when you were just saying that, I thought things that I, you know, used to like laugh at and thought were funny when I was dating my partner, they became sources of frustration later like <laughs> So I think if you can maybe, if as long as of course it's not a serious issue, it's just the core of who they are. This is who they are as people. I think if you can learn to use humor and laughter mm-hmm. as well, and just you know don't sweat the small stuff. Listen, this is just who they are. Um, you know, as long as of course it's not a toxic situation, but being yeah. able to to continue to like laugh at some of the things that are maybe not deal breakers and mm-hmm. in use humor. That's also a really, really valuable um, strategy in relationships, <laughs> I think.
0: <laughs> that definitely, I think, comes with an acceptance of who our partner is, understanding that, you know, we're all unique individuals and we all bring something different to a relationship. Mm-hmm. You can understand and appreciate their quirks. I think that's really important. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What you
1: absolutely. Yeah.
0: So, where can listeners connect with you?
1: Well, you know, I thought about that because I really, um, with my private practice, because it's a part-time job for me, I don't advertise. <laughs> it's all, all, you know, I just I work for some EAP companies, and it's word of mouth. So I don't have a lot of places. However, if somebody wants to um, get in contact with me or ask questions or look for some direction twitter is probably the best place maybe send send me a message on twitter and it's just at shelly l hansen
0: okay awesome we'll include that in our show notes yeah um so you do have your private practice at home do you offer virtual counseling as well because you're in new brunswick
1: (laughs) Yes, I do offer virtual counseling as well, especially during the pandemic that became a big thing. And so, yeah, I absolutely do. I mean, I, the other thing I guess I should add, you can certainly email me as well at Shelly Yeah, at gmail.com. So that's a possibility. Shelly with an EY. <laughs> yeah. And yes, I do offer virtual.
0: Awesome. Thank yeah. You. So much, Yeah, that was so insightful, Shelly. I think it's going to help a lot of people and, and put a lot of things into focus for our listeners. So
1: it was you. really fun. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah. Well, and you. nice to see you again.
0: Yeah, it was good to see you too. <laughs> That's it for our show today. Thanks for joining. Remember, you can always reach out to us on our socials on Instagram at sisterhood underscore of underscore healing or on TikTok at sisterhood of healing. We love to hear from you. So please reach out to us at any time. Thank you for journeying with us today. We'll see you next time.